on today's Compassion Radio. Growing up in Turkey, I realized how Christians didn't really have a voice. We were just trying to protect ourselves and our rights. So when I went to the States, I was just amazed to see how there is a role for Christians that we do have the right to actively participate in public policy and advocacy. Reporting from where God's people are hard at work, building the kingdom, and bringing real hope and compassion to those who need it, we're the daily radio journal that takes you to the front lines of faith. We're Compassion Radio, and I'm your host, Bram Thoria. Thanks for tuning our way today. How do you see the world? And how does it affect how you see yourself? Or does it work the other way around? Today's guest takes that question seriously. Born to a multinational, multilingual Christian missionary family, she's what's known as a third culture believer, someone who's both keenly aware of differences and constantly seeking out commonalities in every situation. It gives her a special insight but it's her personal passion that brings it all together. We'll learn how she brought that passion to the table and how it's made her a student of the world while at the same time maintaining her identity as a follower of Christ. It also brought her through some really trying circumstances and whether she liked it or not gave her a front row seat to some of the most traumatic events of this year. She'll be our tour guide and the trek begins right now. This morning on Compassion Radio, we finally get back to visit with a friend of ours who gave us a lot of first-hand eyewitness information about what was happening in the Middle East, especially through Turkey and the Mediterranean, and how interfaith, intercultural clashes were happening in Europe at the time, because she's lived all of this. Deborah Heda, thank you so much for joining us again on Compassion Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you are currently working for an American organization after you graduated from Calvin College, but you're not working here in the States. You currently are based where? I'm currently joining from Gießen, Germany, which is really close to Frankfurt. And there's a reason why you're living and working there right now. Can you explain a little bit of the background of that? Yeah, so I'm half German, half Turkish. I grew up in Turkey as a missionary child, but my parents are back in Germany mm -hmm. and they live really close to where I am. Um, and I just wanted to be close to them after so many years being gone. It helps. And you are able to work remotely thanks to the technology now. The agency is based, as I understand it, in D.C., and they focus on issues that are important to the American electorate and to Christians who want to stay engaged responsibly yeah. in the culture and politics. So explain a little bit about what the agency is. It's the Center for Public Justice in D.C., and you are the Director of Communications, and you studied that at college. So describe to me what their key function is and why it's important that Christians get involved with something like this. So the Center for Public Justice is based in Washington, D.C. It's a small Christian, nonpartisan, nonprofit, which focuses on civic education, public policy research. We advocate on different issues. We have different programs that focus on these different fields. I can just share about some of them. Oh, yeah, please. Our Families Valued program focuses on increasing family-supportive and family-friendly policies in the workplace, this includes paid family leave, time off for caregiving, for medical reasons. And we just want to make sure that people understand that families are an important institution in society and that workplaces should accommodate them as well. We have a different program that focuses on institutional religious freedom. So we have resources, guidelines for faith-based organizations, helping them navigate the current regulations, mm. what they can do, how they can live out their faith and their vision without clashing with the regulations. 
We have a program in San Antonio, Texas, where we have a cohort of Hispanic pastors. And similarly, our director there works with them closely to equip them with what they need to know as a ministry, how they can work best with other partners and as an organization. When you start talking about big issues, uh, global kind of issues, they seem like they're very large and very impersonal. But you are in this work because you've been affected or believe in something specific. Can you give me an example of a story that pulled you in saying, this is the kind of work I want to do? Me being a third culture person who's got roots in Germany and Turkey and studied America. What is it that you are doing that says, I'm in my sweet spot. I'm doing the thing that God called me to do. Growing up in Turkey, I realized how Christians didn't really have a voice in politics. We weren't really represented. Um, we were just trying to protect ourselves and our rights. So when I went to the States and got to intern with the Center for Public Justice, I was just amazed to see how there is a role for Christians in the political sphere, that we need to be active, that we do have the right to play out, to actively participate in politics, in public policy, in advocacy. When I was with the Center for Public Justice, just learning more from them and being able to describe why, as a Christian, I'm called to the civic life, why, as a Christian, I can work within communities, but I can also work within the more uh, legal structures and make sure that I'm glorifying God in whatever I do. That was just very eye-opening to me and yeah. feel very lucky to have the opportunity to work for such an organization. Awesome. I'm glad you feel that way and you still do, actually getting behind the curtain now to see how the machinery operates and how the sausage is made, so to speak, in politics. It's something that amazes me and that the Americans don't seem to really understand much is that compared to the rest of the world, our access to civic opportunities to speak to our government, to influence policy is outrageously more effective or involved here than it is anywhere else in the world. And yet Christians in America seem to think that we don't have any power at all, and they act as if they're powerless, when they hold more power politically than any other nation on earth, which always kind of confounds me. Now, what do you see about that when you look at it as a person from the outside, so to speak, knowing other cultures? Yeah, I fully agree with that. And I think there's always the danger for Christians in the States to be fully apathetic, not be interested in politics at all, try to isolate themselves from the rest of society, or try to coerce their own beliefs to everyone else. Mm -hmm. So I like how the organization I'm working with has found a middle way that is built on principled pluralism, mm. believing that everyone you know, has God-given gifts and talents whether Christian, whether, you know, atheist, everyone is a part and is doing their own thing. And we need to respect these different spheres and different organizations. So I think that's something that a lot of Americans can learn about yeah. or not aware of. <laughs> or at least take to heart again. Yeah. If we take seriously the concept that we were given a pluralistic society where faith could be safe to express itself, and that being a real gem, politically speaking, and a real cherished inheritance for us who are of the faith. It means that we're not going to be coerced by other segments of our own faith or other faiths at all. We can mm -hmm. exercise our faith freely. It does yeah. not mean that we have the freedom then to go impose our faith on others. And the Constitution, I do believe, was set up to make sure that we don't do that very thing. And yet the yeah. extremes you just mentioned of Christian nationalism or apathy and withdrawal— 
isolationism. Yeah. Both those extremes have terrifically bad fruit from their trees. And different stages throughout our entire national history have had effects. And you probably have been a good student of history because you had to learn about this nation that you're serving in this organization. What have you learned about our history that we probably don't pay enough attention to? <laughs> That's a great question. I think, especially coming from Germany, having had a lot of things happen in our history, I'm surprised to see how some Americans don't really publicly acknowledge the things that went wrong mm. within the recent past and learn from those mistakes. And I think it's really important to own up to that as a country, as a nation, to make sure the same mistakes don't happen again. I've met Americans who are amazing at it, but I think that's just something to be more aware of. Mm, fair enough. And your policy center helps create programs that might help get people closer to encountering a perspective, a worldview, or at least an historical perspective that can help get them back on the rails. Say you are part of a continuum, a nation that's been given to you that's you know, a quarter of millennia old as a nation, but as a culture, as people who have lived on this continent that had to form the United States, that's pushing on 500 years now. Yeah. It's not like we are the Johnny-come-latelys in the world anymore, but we feel like we just invented everything. Mm. <laughs> and not always to our credit. Yeah. So you have learned a lot about us. You're a good student of humanity, and you have to understand your potential audience better, too. Mm -hmm. So I'll just ask you one tough question before I move on to some other subjects that really I want to get to today. When you look at the hypothetical American that you would love to encourage to get positively activated towards motivational action, you want them to actually engage with the political system that we do have, but you want them to do it in a way that's respectful and is productive and not endangering the potential of peace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but how do you do it? How do you communicate those values and win people over to that concept that there's something better than just being angry politically? Yeah. So the Center for Public Justice has this political discipleship curriculum, Interesting. which we are offering small groups, whether it's you know, a group of friends, a church house group, or a classroom. And it has different chapters. And first of all, you just sit down together and um, get to know each other's political autobiographies, which is, you know, what events have shaped you? Mm. What is your background? Why are you believing the certain things you do right now? And just making sure people understand their stories better, but also hear from others who might come from a very different political ideology, a very different family. So we always see that as the first step. And we want to make sure that these groups are diverse. Mm. So you hear many different stories, many different experiences. And then the next step is to pick a policy that you want to focus on, something you want to advocate for, and make sure that it's local enough so that it's doable and work towards that. We prepare you, we equip you with, you know, what to do when you meet with an official, um, with a representative, what type of questions you should ask, how to present what you believe in, how to articulate what changes you want to see. Mm. And then the goal is that every group at the end actually gets to meet with an elected official or someone in authority and have that conversation. This sounds kind of like a, a top-level application project of a 300-level course in college or something. But you're <laughs> offering this to churches for young people and adults alike. So how would a church or an organization or a club, a youth group, mm -hmm. get access to that information and do one of these programs in their location? 
Yeah, I invite you to check out our website, cpjustice.org, and um, we have more information about this curriculum, and you can fill out a form and request the curriculum itself, and then we'll have a discussion to talk over it and just give you more guidance. We'll be back with more from Deborah Haida at the Center for Public Justice after this. If you've learned anything by now about what Compassion Radio is, Hopefully, you see a ministry that faithfully allows the kingdom around the world to tell their story, unvarnished, to us in the relative comforts that we enjoy. It's important that we hear the reality of the world and how the battles of this world are always spiritual in nature as well. Together, we'll learn how we can pray and help them in their work of living out the Great Commandment and Great Commission. I hope you'll help us to keep bringing these stories to you each day. We've always been a 100% listener-supported ministry, and we count on your generosity and open hearts to respond any time that you are able. We need you, friends, and our family around the world needs us to know together what they're going through, so they're prayed for and supported. Thanks for loving the kingdom and this ministry with your tangible support. If you find any value in what we do, we need to hear from you today. The easiest way is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. You can also reach out through our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And please note our new mailing address, P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. That's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. How would a church get access to that information and do one of these programs? I invite you to check out our website, cpjustice.org, and then we'll give you more guidance. Very good. So again, that's cpjustice.org. At the end of it, the objective is to actually get people not just trained in how to approach a public official, but how to interact with them and not feel like you're a fool or ignorant in going into the room where those things happen. I assume by the curriculum, you're also identifying by good questions and answers what it is that motivates you. What are the things that you feel like are not clicking with your local government? What things can be improved that you feel passionate about? And learning how to channel those things into a well-framed presentation that can be understood by those who can actually enact policy. Is that a fair way of explaining the program? Yes. Yeah. It it starts with understanding yourself better, understanding where you come from, and then picking a topic that you truly care about and seeing how it affects your neighbor, other vulnerable people you live with in the same society and understanding how you can stand next to them and advocate for them together. And the people that are in any local community are going to be different for different communities, of course. So the tools you're helping people use are going to be helpful for your neighbors. And beyond that, thinking more globally about the way your community has an impact on and is impacted by other communities that make up those bigger units, states or counties and nations, and eventually the world. So again, I want to reiterate for our listeners that the Center for Public Justice is a Christian-based and rooted organization. What Deborah is talking about here is something that is available to all Christians of all stripes to help us learn how to be effective, not just be politicized or to be grouped in certain ways that would make people assume that we're all monolithic in the way we um, think and act. 
We don't. We have very, very many Christian communities across America that have different views on different topics. And sometimes it converges on a lot of commonality on certain issues, for sure. So you help them figure that stuff out, which is a wonderful thing. So I encourage our listeners to get involved with, or at least to learn a little bit more about the Center for Public Justice. Okay, Deborah, I'm going to pivot now because in the back half of this program, I want to talk about what you know and your personal experiences in the middle of one of the biggest stories of the year. And I'm not just talking, Deborah, about the earthquake, although that is the big thing that we're facing this year. It has killed tens of thousands of people and has affected the people that you know very personally. We're going to get to that. But it's not the only tragedy that you and your family and your church and your community have faced over the past 10 or 20 years. I don't want to neglect those issues that led up to how the Christians are facing the tragedy this year. It's a big picture and a very long story. I know we can't cover all, but let's start at the top. Tell me a little bit about your church and your friends and your family and how they've been affected by the earthquakes that happened in Turkey and Syria. Yeah, just a bit more than a month ago on February 6th, like you mentioned, there were two very large and devastating earthquakes in southern Turkey. These earthquakes had an intensity of 7.6 and 7.8. Huge on any scale. Yeah, exactly. Affected more than 11 large Turkish cities and northern Syria. The numbers are still increasing, but as of now, there are 55,000 people who died, 20,000 people who were injured. We heard more than 4 million buildings were affected. Wow. And these numbers can increase because there is no set data that is coming from Syria. So it's hard to yeah. imagine what the level of destruction has been over there. It's been um, really hard for us. My mom comes from Antakya, which is the biblical Antioch, mm-hmm. um, a very significant place in the Bible. If not the most important. Yeah, where Paul and Barnabas started their missions, the place where the disciples of Jesus were called Christians for the first time. Mm-hmm. Just a very lovely place. And that's where my mom was born, where she grew up, where she got to know Jesus at mm-hmm. the age of 18 She grew up in a Greek Orthodox household, an Arabic-speaking Greek Orthodox household, and got to know Jesus personally later in life. But the amazing thing about Antioch is that so many different cultures and people from different beliefs were living together in peace. And it was truly a great example for Turkey, for other places in Turkey. It's just so sad to see the destruction that has happened there. We had good friends who come from my mom's village, who were leading a small church close by, lose their lives. Their young son was rescued by his grandpa, who rescued him out of the rubble himself because there were no rescue teams in the area. Mm. Unfortunately, there were other cousins of my mom, friends from her youth, who also haven't been saved for people who are still missing. So there's a lot of pain. That's just one city, but all around the region, a lot of pain, grief, a lot of loss. I imagine that the grief is compounded in some ways because, as you described your mother, she's not just a Turkish woman. What little I know of your family, Deborah, is that your mother was already multicultural, being a Turkish woman in a Greek Orthodox upbringing. She's speaking Arabic in that. And even the collision of all those things inside that one church is a pretty big deal. So the kind of grief you might have for your country, for your community, for your city would be compounded because you're thinking about all the different communities you're part of that have all suffered. And you've mentioned that so many of your own extended family are still missing. You're not living there now, but you know these people. How does it affect you, Deborah? It's been a really hard couple of weeks. Um, I know especially for my mom, 
she was just recently telling me that she feels very rootless and mm. she feels like her hometown has been wiped off of the map and it just doesn't exist anymore. You know, she has so many memories attached to those streets, to those places. We heard that in Antakya, pretty much every second building has been destroyed. Wow. So I know for her, it's been very hard. I was with my parents when I found out about the earthquakes. And ever since we had so many people call my mom just to share how they're doing, reached out to so many people. And it was just saddening news over and over again. So it's been hard for me to take that all in to process that it's a place I love people that I love my people. And it, it has felt a little helpless not being able to help directly to be, you know, so far away in Germany and see how everything is out of our control. So I've been praying that God gives me peace about that. Fair enough. We'll pray concerning that issue for you too, Deborah. Yeah, thank you. Now your family, I imagine their first instinct would be to get on an airplane or just walk across a field and get into Turkey somehow to help their people. But there's not much access right now to come in because They've shut down with the airports. Ones that are still functional are in pretty bad shape in that part of the country. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they're trying to prioritize major-scale recovery and rebuilding and demolition of the things that have been destroyed. So it's going to be a huge mess for a long time as the country tries to reboot, literally. Yeah. But what are your parents thinking about doing and when? And will you be with them when they do it? Mm -hmm. So like you said, currently, there isn't much opportunity to go there in person. It's probably not the wisest thing, you know, for every individual to do. But we have been partnering with some trustworthy people that we know from the church there, some organizations, and just supporting them financially. In the first few weeks, these organizations were actually trying to rescue people from the rubble. Now, unfortunately, there isn't much hope for that. But right. All these people can't go back into their homes, even right. if the house is still there. It's not safe enough. And there have been so many aftershocks. And as you mentioned, the roads were destroyed. The hospitals were destroyed. Antakya, as of yesterday, they didn't have any water. Um, the electricity is unstable. So it's really hard for the people who were rescued, who were, you know, managed to escape the house. Um, they need a lot of support. A good friend in Malatya, which is another big city that was affected, she got out of the house, but the house was damaged pretty badly and mm. um, had to spend the first week outside in the snow around a bonfire because they didn't have enough tents. And I know that was Whew. the situation for so many people. Now people are trying to figure out where they're going to go next. But I think as a family, we are focusing on supporting these organizations who we trust and who we know are in person there, helping people, providing shelter, providing food and other necessities. I will put links to those organizations or descriptions of them if they're going to be giving through Compassion Radio. So we know if we are able to convince people that are listening to this program to be part of the solution to the immediate needs, mm -hmm. that they'll be able to have a way to do that. So I'll make sure I post those on the podcast page at our website, CompassionRadio.com. So if you hear this today and you want to know more about ways to give to help survivors and those who are dealing with letting go of family and finding appropriate places to even inter them. I mean, imagine this the sheer magnitude of trying to figure out what to do with the dead mm -hmm. by the living. It must be just horrendous. And the Christians there are serving. We'll have much more next week on the crisis in Turkey and how the Christian church is responding. I hope you'll tune in for those programs as we welcome back today's guest, Deborah Haida at the Center for Public Justice. 
Drop us a line through our website, CompassionRadio.com. You can also reach out through our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And please note our new mailing address, P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. That's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We'll see you tomorrow.